great month for rejoicing in Jesus, and we actually get a little extra this month because we have five Sundays. Uh, so today we're starting this series, and it's going to go for the whole month, nailing it to his cross, and uh, as the video so eloquently said, invite somebody to come on Easter because it makes a difference. An invitation uh, is often the first thing necessary to get people to come to church. I, I was so excited to see our serve team out today and all of uh, the folks out there holding signs with no coats on and they came in and their fingers were a little bit frozen when they came back in but they did a great job and our greeters are, are active and we're ready uh, for Easter to come and ready for a lot of guests to be here and so the only way we do that is to invite people to come. Now tonight at 5.30 we have a series called Starting Point that we're going through and there's a book that goes with it that we've written, and everybody's invited. Even if you have been going to church here for a long time, or maybe even a year or two, uh, this is a great series for all of us to kind of refresh our memory on the foundation of why do we do what we do, uh, what do we believe, why do we believe it, and it all starts with the authority of God's Word. And so that's tonight at 5.30, and then throughout the month of April, we'll be doing that series. Uh, also... Uh, I know Pastor Cole will tell you at the end of the service, but this Friday uh, is the Centennial Baptist School Carnival and Auction down at O'Connor Fieldhouse, and we'd love for you to come and be there for it. It's from about 4 to 9. Uh, come down there for dinner and see what the kids are doing and see the auction, and we're looking forward to that. We know from the story of Scripture and the Gospels and, and from the narrative that God has given us that Jesus took everything that was against us and nailed it to his cross. In Ephesians, it says that he took the handwriting of ordinances, the law that was against us, and he nailed it to his cross. And today we're going to talk about uh, the topic of objections. Nailing our objections to the cross, our personal feelings, our questions, our opinions, our theories, that bring doubt into a relationship with God. And until those things have been nailed to the cross, you're not going to have any peace in your faith. Our text today is from John chapter 6. And as you go there, we're going to look at the words of Jesus this morning. In John chapter 6, if you have a red letter Bible, there's going to be a lot of red words today. A red letter Bible just shows the words of Jesus in red. And we're going to be using his words. And so as we get here to John chapter 6, if you're physically able, would you stand? And I'll read there, beginning today in verse number 35, John chapter 6. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, that I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, so they had an objection, because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose 
Father and mother we know. How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Today we're talking about nailing objections to his cross. So let's pray. Father, would you work now in our hearts this morning? We thank you for each one who's here today. And certainly we do not know the questions or the objections or the fears or the struggles that are on every heart in this room. But God, you do. And, and may the Holy Spirit go before now and touch your hearts in a way where by the end of this sermon that we would be willing and ready to nail our objections to your cross and trust in you as our sovereign God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, many of the modern methods for evangelism say that we shouldn't talk much about a person's sin, and we shouldn't talk much about the need for repentance. Instead, we just point to God's love and eternal life and positive results for faith in Jesus. And then, after the person has signed on, if you will, uh, to God, and after the person has signed on to become a Christian and they've come on board, then you introduce the hard stuff, repentance, holiness, and discipleship. And I have to tell you, when I read the history of Jesus Christ, I don't find any of these salesmanship tactics. And when the rich young ruler came asking what he needed to do to inherit eternal life, Jesus said, it's easy, man. God loves you. and I love you. Just believe, dude. No, that's not what he said. Uh, he told him to keep all the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler said, well, I've kept them all since I was very young. And Jesus said, okay, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he was willing, he was not willing to give up his stuff. And we talked about that last week. But Jesus didn't sugarcoat anything. He didn't make it easy. Jesus told the crowd, if you want to come after me, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Yes, the gospel is simple, but no, the gospel is not easy. There's a cult out there, maybe you've heard of it, it's called Scientology. And it follows the writings of this kook that lived uh, in the 20th century named L. Ron Hubbard. And I'm telling you, the guy was far out. I think he was primarily on LSD in all of his writings. Um, but L. Ron Hubbard so he started this religion, Scientology, and people start into it, and there's levels of Scientology. And you can't really absorb and know the truth and the important things about Scientology until you get into the certain levels. And when you're just entering, uh, it all sounds really good, and there's lots of frills, and it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. But the further you go, they start letting you in on secrets. Like the fact that there are probably 100,000 aliens that have invaded your body. Really, that's down level six or seven, you start to know that. And that you will need a special machine every day that you're going to have to lie on and be plugged into that takes the aliens out of your body. And the more levels you go, the more immersed you get, and the more you find out. And I'm here to tell you, the story Jesus gives, and the narrative Jesus gives, and the life Jesus gives, 
doesn't have any of those levels. He tells you the greatest thing up front, which is you need me as your savior, period, end of story. And, and so here this morning, we're going to be talking about some of these objections that people have. And here in John 6, Jesus is dealing with a group that had some objections. And they had come by the Sea of Galilee. And if you read earlier in the chapter, they had been the ones who had eaten part of the five loaves and two fishes that Jesus used to feed thousands. And after eating this miraculous meal, they wanted to make him their king. But Jesus didn't want to be that kind of king. And so later they followed Jesus to Capernaum. And they said, Jesus, we want you to be our new Moses. And we want you to give us a lifetime supply of bread. But Jesus didn't come to be a Messiah by their definition. He came to be the Messiah sent from God. And they had a wrong expectation of who Jesus should be and what Jesus should, should do. And so Jesus had to correct some errors. He had to answer some objections. And we started reading this in verse 35 because, yes, he was the bread of life, but not in the physical food realm. He's the bread of life in the spiritual food realm. Now, that's the setup for our passage that we're going to study this morning. Jesus had told them that, yes, he was the bread of life they needed. But I want you to look at verse 41 again. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And in verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. Now, pretty much everybody has some type of objection or some type of question or some type of struggle or something that doesn't add up when we pursue God. And I want to walk you through how we should respond with those objections. And the first thing we talk about today in this context of verse 43 is check your attitude. Check your attitude. See, these people didn't just have objections. They had objectionable attitudes. Now, Jesus, you say you came down from heaven, but we know your dad and your mom. Yeah, we know where you're from, and since we can't verify for ourselves what you're saying, it must not be true. And I want you to, to understand and, and think about this. Jesus did not argue with them about their misunderstanding. Jesus didn't argue with them about his origin. He called them out for grumbling. As you know, murmuring and complaining are spoken of throughout the Bible. Uh, they're in there a lot, and they are never commended. God doesn't like grumbling. See, grumblers internally set themselves up as being sovereign over God. And they want to tell the creator how he's supposed to rule the world. If God saw things my way, we wouldn't be in this mess. If God would just listen to me, we could clear up all these problems. And grumblers think that God's way has to be their way. Now, they may not say it out loud, but they imply that they know more than God does. And these particular grumblers thought that they were qualified to pass judgment on Jesus. Now, look, if you're going to bring an objection before the throne of God, 
You better make sure that it's about seeking out truth instead of arguing with your creator. What's the attitude behind your objection? Many people say they have objections, but really they just refuse to be obedient. And many skeptics point to issues that are really just smoke screens to hide the fact that they don't want to give Jesus lordship of their life. By the way, grumbling isn't just for non-Christians. It happens in the lives of believers too. Didn't you know that there are unthankful, ungrateful believers who don't really trust in God to take care of their lives? And because they don't really trust in God to take care of their lives, they constantly grumble. And they may complain about things that seem like they're on this earth, but you know what all complaints really are complaining about? God didn't do it the way I wanted him to. Right? God, you could have made me like him. God, you could have made me like her. God, you could have allowed me to wear a size four. God, you could have allowed me to have a 32-inch waist. God, you could have made me seven foot one. All right? Whatever it is, these objections, what they really are is they're saying to God, God, you didn't do it the right way. And it's an attitude issue. And I, I truly believe that most people who say, well, I'm just not sure if there's a God. Or some people are dogmatic who say there is no God. You know what their biggest problem is? They don't want to submit to God. They don't want to be obedient to God. And God told one of the kings, as you read through the kings, there was a king of Assyria. And it's one of my favorite stories. And he came, and Hezekiah was king, and they surrounded the city, and Isaiah was the prophet, and they sent this guy named Rabshakeh in. And Rabshakeh said, the king Sennacherib is going to take over, and your gods don't stand a chance. And they went and prayed before the God of heaven. And the God of heaven said, you go tell that Sennacherib that he's about to die. You go tell that Sennacherib that I see his heart, and I see how he's obstinate against me, and how he hates me. And God saw into his heart. And you get to the end of the story, in one of my favorite verses, it says, uh, and when they arose in the morning, they were all dead corpses. And I've always tried to figure out how that worked. Right? When they arose in the morning, they were all dead corpses. So sometimes when we arise in the morning, we kind of feel like that, but, but they really were. And he was obstinate, and he hated God, and God knew it, and God knew what his attitude was. And there's an attitude that you have to look at. But then, the, the next part of this, confront your ability. Verse 44, confront your ability. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Now, why would Jesus tell unbelieving skeptics that they aren't able in and of themselves to come to him? Well, skeptics are often very proud of their mental abilities. To the point that they treat childlike believers who just believe that God is what he says and does what he does. They treat us, childlike believers, like we are uneducated hillbillies. Like we don't know anything. Like we can't figure anything out. 
And they have this kind of this attitude. If you people had half a brain, you would realize that this carpenter from Galilee can't possibly be the Messiah sent down from heaven. That's what they're telling each other in this passage in John 6. We know his dad. We know his mom. He's the carpenter down the road. And look, if you believe he's the Messiah, you are crazy. Uh, you are crazy. You're as crazy as a Galilean fisherman. And Jesus yanks this rug of pride out from under these people and out from under all of us. He says that the Father in heaven has to draw us to himself. We don't have any ability to save ourselves. None. Our intellect and all that goes with it, our intellect, our knowledge can't even research and find Jesus and then decide we'll sign on. No, only God has the power of salvation. Only the Spirit can convict of sin and our need for a Savior. And if someone can reason his way to God, then he'll be able to boast about his reasoning abilities. Ephesians says that salvation is by grace through faith. And it goes on to say that it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you have objections to faith in Jesus, you need to check your attitude. But you also need to concede that your intellectual ability can't get you to God. You need to concede that you don't have any merit on your own. You're just a sinner like everyone else. I find that complacent and backslidden Christians often give authentic Jesus followers this intellectual treatment. They kind of give you these warnings. Look, don't sell out too hard for Jesus. Right? Or don't put all your faith in Jesus. It's okay to go to church and it's okay to have a Bible and things, but you don't really want to follow it. You say, well, pastor, is this true? Does this happen? Is it legit? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, the Barner Research Group did a survey uh, several years ago, and here's what they found out. 9% of people who go to churches just like this one, 9% say that they actually value and use the Word of God in their daily decision-making. 9%. The other 91% think that they have the ability to do it on their own. And they look at the 9% and they say, you know what? You guys have gone too far. You're actually going to do what the Bible says? This, was a, this is what other Christians say. This is what liberal progressives say about us in society. It's okay for you to say there's a God and it's okay to believe in him, but... Don't talk about it at school. Don't talk about it in the public square. Don't really believe God. Just say you do. Right? Just like we do. There's a lot of good Catholics that, who are in government who believe in abortion. Right? They, they say it one way, but they do it the other way. Now, now look, we, we as Christians, we have a responsibility to take what God has given us and to actually live it. And there are people that you need to think this through. Uh, it's, it's okay to go to church once a week, but you actually want to start, like Pastor Cole talked about this morning, you actually want to start tithing of your income? Uh, you're getting too involved now. Uh, you actually think that giving your money to God is a good idea? Well, God says it is. 
In fact, God says it's not going to work out too well for me if I don't. Well, but yeah, but do you really believe that? See, it always worries me when Christians question God's word. That always worries me because it always makes me think, do they really even believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior? Now, I'm not the one to judge, and God's the only one who knows their heart, but I, don't, I just don't really buy into that we're going to live our lives without God's word. We need it. And it's, it's so important for those who claim to believe in Jesus to concede that their intellectual abilities are not what brought them to God. It's as important for us to do it as it is for the skeptics out there. We all need to be stripped of our proud self-confidence and embrace the simplicity of the gospel. I want you to notice something else, though, in this passage. Consider the authority. Consider the authority. People who refuse to accept the simplicity of the gospel have chosen some other information source as their eternal authority. Everybody believes in something. For instance, atheism requires the knowledge of everything, which no human being has, to declare for certain that there's no God. Right? If you're going to say there's no God, that means you have to know everything. And none of us know everything. Agnostics say that they can't know anything for sure, but they also say, there's one thing I know for sure, is that you can't know anything about God. That doesn't work either. Now, all people who understand the difference between right and wrong have made something or someone their authority when it comes to eternal life. Well, my professor told me that the Bible has errors. Okay, so you're saying that your professor is the one that you're hanging your eternity upon. Well, I saw on the internet that Jesus wasn't really God. Okay, so the internet's your eternal authority. Well, I don't believe a loving God would send people to hell. Well, now you've made yourself your own eternal authority. And look, you have to... Uh, you people, are, if you're like me, you've been going to the store before and forgotten where you're going. Right? Like you're going to, how many of you just driving down the road, you're like, oh, I was supposed to be going that way. Or I was supposed to pick up my kid at school 20 minutes ago. Why am I at D&B? Right? If we forget where we're going and we're going to hang our eternity on our own ability to reason. That's probably not the best thing to hang your eternity on. Well, all Christians are hypocrites. So there's no reason to believe in God. You know, you have to consider the authority that you're hanging your eternity upon. Well, my textbook says that we all came from monkeys. Well, so you're making your textbook the final authority on where you're going to spend eternity. Well, Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Believing God is just a crutch. Yes, Satan has used Karl Marx and and many others to send people to eternal death because they made him into their final authority that they would hang their eternity upon. I think that as long as you believe in something, that's what matters. I've heard that one a lot. Right, and you were born when? 
Uh, who made you into the authority for determining how people get to God? Right? Is there anybody in this room who is the authority of how people get to God? All we're doing is we're getting our ideas from some other source. And there's only one authority. And so before you allow your objections to drag you to hell, it might be a good idea to consider the authority behind your objections. What is it that you're going to hang your hopes on as you close your eyes in death? As you come to the time in your life where you will go into eternity, what is it that you're going to hang your hopes on? Because at that moment, you don't want to say, well, I've always believed this way. I've always hoped God would just let me into heaven. Remember years and years ago, yeah, my wife and I had a church plant in Boise, and we, had, uh, we were going through a neighborhood, and I met this dear lady, and yeah, she was almost 90 years old. Yeah, by the way, Ivan's going to be 90 years old coming up yeah, on April 9th, I think it is. Yeah, but she was almost 90 years old, and we got to talking. And I asked her if, if she knew or for sure how sure she would be that if she died, she'd go to heaven. And she said, well, I'm pretty sure. And, and I said, well, you know, why? What's, and she says, well, you know, I've gone to church all my life. And, and she came kind of talked through these things with me. And uh, she told me what her background was. She was a seventh generation LDS. And uh, so I said to her, what if there was something wrong with your faith that would keep you out of heaven? Would you want to know about it? And she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, I've been in it too long. I wouldn't even want to know. Now, can you imagine that? I've been in it too long. I wouldn't even want to know. You know, that's where a lot of people are. I'm stuck on my path of saying, well, I hope I get to heaven. I'm stuck on my path of saying, well, the church is the way to heaven. Because I've been saying it since I was seven years old. Or I'm stuck on saying, you know what, baptism is the way to heaven. Because my mom told me I was christened or baptized or whatever. Listen to me. God's authority is all that matters when it comes to the gospel. It's the only one that matters. And all of the things that we say, whether we're churchy people or whether we're not churchy people, they have to come under the scope of the scriptures. They have to come under the scope of what Jesus said. That brings us to this last part, and I think this is probably the most important one this morning, which is this. And this is the way, really, all of us, no matter who we are, what our status is, what stage of life we're in, where we're at in our belief system, this is the one that we all have to do to bring our objections to the cross. And that is, confess he's almighty. Confess he's almighty. You know, we talked about Job a few weeks ago and his experience with suffering. And I mentioned on that Sunday that Job uh, had this thing where God answered him in chapters 38 and 39 and 40 and 41 of the book. And God answered Job by asking questions. Questions like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
That's a good question. Right? Now, some people in this room act old or look old, but I guarantee you none of them were around at the foundation of the earth. Right? I'm pretty much sure of that one. He asked Job, what is the earth fastened on? He said to Job, where were you when the clouds became a garment? Does the rain have a father? Out of whose womb does the ice come? Can you bind Orion and Pleiades and the constellations of the heavens? Here's what he asked Job. Can you send lightning? Who provides the ravens their food? Have you given the horse strength? Do the hawks fly by your wisdom? And it goes on and on and on for four chapters. It just keeps going. One of my favorite ones is he says, uh, can you draw out Leviathan with the hook? Now, Leviathan, uh, many creation scientists believe that Le Leviathan was a huge water dinosaur, a fire-breathing, water-living dragon. And uh, there's still people over in Scotland uh, who are looking for the guy, right? What's his name in Scotland? Loch Ness, right? And, and so they're still believing that Loch Ness, Leviathan's around. He says, could you draw Leviathan out with a hook? He says, can, can you make him cry uncle? I'm paraphrasing. It doesn't really say that in the Bible. <laughs> you remember when you were a kid and, a, and the kid down the street would get in a fight? My dad's bigger than your dad. Well, that's nothing. My mom can beat up your dad. And a uh, favorite baseball player and... You know, whatever it was, my baseball card's better than yours. And eventually, you've got one kid on top of the other kid, and he's just going to town on him. And he says, cry uncle, cry uncle. And finally, you go, uncle, right? Because you don't want to get hit anymore. He said, can you do that with Leviathan? Can you take this massive dinosaur who breathes out fire and knocks trees down with his tail, and can you make him cry uncle? And Job kind of puts all this together and he hears four chapters worth of God's questions about God's sovereignty. And here's what he finally says in Job 42. And this is, this is all you need to know with your objections. Job 42, verse 2, here's what he said. I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. And then Job says this, I uttered things that I understood not. All these times I've been talking to you, God. All these times I've been talking to my friends about why things are happening in my life. I uttered things that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And he goes on to say this, I think it's in verse 6. He says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And Job realized that God truly is almighty. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. He's immortal, invisible, eternal. And I'm going to object to him. It's ludicrous, really, that any human being would ever object to anything God's done. 
It's absurd that we would have anything to be skeptical about. Yes, there are things we don't understand and there are things that we don't know. But hey, he's the sovereign God. His ways are past finding out. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed to him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. That's from Romans 11. It's one of my favorites. You know, when you nail things that you don't understand to the cross, you are proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to go back to John 6 now. And let's look at how this chapter finishes up because it's so important and so powerful. Uh, He had been talking and, and many of these people who had followed him for the bread and they'd followed him to Capernaum and And they'd followed him kind of all around these parts for a while. And now Jesus told them, hey, uh, listen, uh, you can't do this on your own. No man can do it except the Father draw him. You don't have the ability. And you need to check your attitude. And look what it said in verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? It's a good question. Is there an objection that you have toward God? Are you offended by God? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Because he knew that in in just a little while that there were going to be some disciples who stood on a hill and watched him ascend to where he had been before. Now, what if you see that? He says in verse 63, it's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now look at verse 66, and if you like to underline, underline this verse. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know why they went back? Because they were following him for the wrong reason. They were following him for bread and fish. They were following him for some kind of status or the hope of some kind of miracle. And when they found out what discipleship really was, to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, they said, we're out. Many of them went back and walked no more. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art Messiah, thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. When you read this, 
you have to say in your own heart today, and I say to you, folks, we don't have anywhere else to go. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I'll hang my eternity on Jesus who rose bodily from the dead. I'll hang my eternity on Jesus who ascended into heaven and will return again. Now you can hang your eternity on Darwin or Marx or Hitchens or Dawkins or your professor or your intellect or your emotions or your reasoning. I'll stick with Jesus. You say, I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. You don't have to. I know that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And I confess that he is almighty. Lord, there's none like you. Nothing can be compared with you. And when we get that attitude in our hearts, that right attitude toward God, the objections slip away. When we submit our hearts and we say, Jesus, be Lord of my life, the objections slip away. You know, there are a lot of things over the years that I maybe had a question about in the Bible that I didn't quite understand. And as I kept reading and reading and reading and reading and reading, God eventually allowed the Holy Spirit to show me that, and a light bulb came on. And it's like a flashlight of the Holy Spirit said, here's what that means. Or maybe I heard a sermon, and I heard somebody hit a scripture in a different way that I'd never heard it before. You know, the seeming contradictions of God's word aren't God's problem. They're our problem. We have limited knowledge. We are limited creatures. And God is eternal and powerful. Here's today's big truth. This is so huge in this modern time. Jesus never softened his words in order to win more followers. In fact, he invited objections. Jesus didn't use salesmanship tactics. He just told it like it was. If you have objections, objections, he's willing to listen. But I'd warn you up front that you better check your attitude first. And you better make sure it's an information issue and not an obedience issue. Because God has given us all the information we need to know to follow him. And if we begin to get on the path and start following, he'll give us more information. But what we sometimes do is we say, God, I'm not going to move from this spot until you give me all the information. That's an obedience issue. That's a you problem, not a God problem. God wants you to take what you already know and start walking by faith with following him. That's today's faith challenge. If you know more than God knows, and I say that facetiously because none of us can, you can never enjoy his leading. If the Spirit has whispered into your life about something and you refuse to follow through, you are telling the Almighty God that you know what's best for your life. You're telling God that you don't really trust his plans for you. That he doesn't really have your best interests in mind. I'm wondering if you have an objection today. Or if you have an attitude that you need to nail 
to his cross. Let's bow together.